Hello, and welcome to the School of Attraction podcast. I'm Damien Deeker, and I'll be talking to you about a range of topics from dating, attraction, masculinity, sexuality, life philosophy, and much, much more. So without any further ado, let's get started. I hope you enjoy listening to today's podcast just as much as I've enjoyed creating it. Hey everyone, it's Damien here from School of Attraction. And today what I want to do is go through the ultimate self-development checklist for dating. So what is this list all about? So it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman watching this video. If you're in a position where you're frustrated in your dating life, now it could be for a variety of reasons. Maybe you always seem to meet people who aren't really right for you, or you go on lots of dates and no one seems to be interested in you, or you're a guy and you date women and they all just want to be friends, or you're a woman and you date guys and they all only want to have sex with you, Uh, or you get into relationships, but after a few months, they always fizzle out. So all these kind of frustrating points that men and women both tend to really hit when they're within the dating scene, this is a checklist of really important, deep inner work in different parts of our lives, different parts of who we are, where the answer is going to lie. And I want to present this checklist because as you listen to me go through all these points, you're likely to hear one or two of these that are going to trigger something and you're going to think, hmm, this feels like an area I need to work on. I'm really familiar with this list because I go through each of these when I do my men's work retreats in the Blue Mountains in Sydney with guys where we live together in a house for a weekend. And even though each of these can seriously impact our dating lives, if we've got you know, difficulty in this area. This is really an overall self-development checklist too. So this is going to impact other areas of your life as well. Now, I don't want you to go through this list and think, shit, I have to be perfect in all these areas before someone will date me. The answer is no. I don't profess to be clear or perfect or have anything perfectly well managed in any of these areas. But I myself have spent some time really looking to each of these areas in myself as well. And every time I hit a block in my life, I'll often go through this list and think, where do I need to do more work? So this is kind of a a lifelong practice. But if you're struggling in dating, it's likely there's a big monster lurking in one of these areas. So let's get stuck in. There's eight of them. So I don't want to make this a super long video. So let me go through each. There'll be chapter markings below if you want to go back and listen or jump ahead to one of the others and see if that's because you've got an inkling already of where your difficulty lies. So let's get started. The first and probably most common and well-known area where people struggle in dating is your attachment style. So really quickly, uh, we on the whole, we can have three ways of relating to the concept of love and affection, right? So for some people, they can be securely attached, which is they are... Um, the idea of being loved and loving someone feels relatively safe. That's the simplest way to put it, right? And they behave as though it's safe to be loved or to give love to someone. However, most people, the majority of us, myself included, have an attachment style that's that's unhealthy, that's around anxiety. So generally speaking, we can either be anxiously attached, which is where when there's love involved or affection, we tend to hold on too tight. Neediness would be a really obvious example of uh, an anxious attachment style, right? So we're scared of losing it. Love means fear of loss, right? That's an anxious attachment style. The other obvious style is an avoidant attachment style, which is where uh, love equals danger, love and affection equals danger. So the the second there's a sign of danger in your romantic life, you cut and run. So they're two obvious examples of attachment styles. But that's the very first place that everyone should look in their lives. Do I tend to be anxious when love's involved or avoidant when love's involved? Because that will have a massive impact on the quality of your relationships and your ability to meet partners. The second point in this checklist that's really big is what I call mother energy or your relationship to your mother. And I'm not trying to go Freudian with this, but... 
we do tend to um, model from our mothers. If we're men, we tend to model from our mothers um, the our concept of femininity. Women do the two. But what we do then is we model ideas about what our romantic partners should be like and as well as what our relationship, romantic relationships should be like. So a little bit of a mix between how we see our mothers interacting with our fathers, how we ourselves interact with our mothers and how we receive love, what that love dynamic is like. So a lot of our relationship dynamics we pull from our op opposite gendered parent. So if you're a man, your relationship dynamics, straight man, uh, your relationship dynamics will come from your father, generally speaking. If you're a straight woman, your relationship... Uh, from your mother. <laughs> if you're a straight woman, your relationship dynamics will come from your father. And so that's really, really critical because barely anyone has a, a completely healthy relationship with their opposite gendered parent, right? With our mothers, let's say, because we're talking about mother energy, barely any man has a complete. So there's always work to be done and in untangling what was her stuff that was unhealthy that she brought to the mother-child dynamic and what is you know, what do I want to have for a relationship dynamic in the future? So that's really important, understanding that, what you pulled away from that that's hurting you now. You know, do you have just trust for women as a result of your relationship with your mom? Do you feel like women will always leave you as a result of an intensive mother? Do you have... So a lot of this stuff comes from mother energy in our relationships with our mother or primary female caregiver. Uh, when then we flip the side and we go to number three in the checklist, which is father energy, our relationships with our fathers. Or another way to put it, you could say your relationship with your same gendered parent or caregiver. So this tends to impact the, uh, uh, how we define ourselves as men or women. So if it, we're talking about men listening, uh, our father energies, it tends to be how you define yourself as a man in the world. What is my idea of masculinity? Well, how is a man supposed to behave? How is a man supposed to interact with the world? It also shapes your expectations for friends, right? So often same gendered friends, but doesn't have to be. But friendships in general get shaped by your same gender parent. And so if you've got a complicated relationship with your father, you'll often have complicated relationships with your friends, as well as a complicated relationship to yourself as a man. So Sometimes, for example, if you have a father who was emotionally absent, you can go one of two ways. You could become emotionally absent yourself or but through mimicry, or you can rebound off the back of that and say, I don't want to be anything like my dad. And you become over the top um, attentive, right, to, to your own detriment because you're like, I don't want to be like, ever like my dad. That hurt my mom and I'm going to do the opposite. So both can hurt you, right? So we tend to get that. And, and our friendship dynamics, if you struggle in your friendships, in interpersonal, the way you see yourself as a man, or if you see your, the way you see yourself as a woman, again, would be mother energy, right? Same-sex parent affects friendships. That's really, really important in your development and the way that you see yourself. So if there's blocks there, if there's issues there, it's going to really impact the way that you see yourself. Checklist item number four is self-respect and selfishness. Now, let me put this in different terms to maybe make it more make more sense. If you're a man watching this, you'll probably be familiar with the idea of the nice guy syndrome, right? And if you're a woman, generally speaking, it's called fawning. Like the, 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 the standard type of behavior is called fawning. What this really means is a nice guy thinks if I'm a really good person, right? That's how I make people love me, right? I make the world love me by showing what a good guy I am. And the reason why that's under the banner of self-respect and selfishness is you're really bad at being selfish, really, really bad at respecting your own wants and needs and values, right? Because you'll, you'll forego those to be loved. And fawning is very similar, right? So fawning in women is where you have really poor self-respect and, and selfishness, you know, to look after your own wants and needs, because for you, demonstrating what a good woman you can be, what a good, uh, how attentive you can be, fawning is often about attentiveness and taking care of someone. The more you do that, the more you feel like you deserve love. And that's your way of trying to buy love. Um, and as a result, you have really poor boundaries. Self-respect, selfishness is really low. 
So this is a really important area. If you recognize, can it understand yourself as being too nice or understand yourself as a woman of fawning too much, that's going to kill your ability to have healthy relationships. Or, or as a man, it can kill your ability to have sexual relationships, it can kill your ability to have casual sexual relationships, it'll kill your ability to be respected in relationships, and similar kinds of problems for women. So this is a really important area. The fifth point on the checklist is rage and anger. And I don't mean trying to suppress rage and anger because that's a different issue. Like if you've got rage and anger problems, that's a separate category that that isn't on this list. I'm talking about rage and anger, inability to access those. Now, surprisingly, this is a far bigger issue for women than men. And I say surprisingly because I think a lot of the men listening will think, well, wait up, I have trouble being able to be angry or rageful. Uh, But the problem is society teaches women to be nice, right? We try to push women into this nice, sweet category, right? And that's, that's the ideal for femininity in the culture that we live in. And that's what women are pushed into. And as a result, far more women really struggle to access their rage and their anger in a healthy way. But most of the men watching this video will also struggle with it because I find that if you can't access rage and anger, it really makes it hard in dating. Why? Should we be rageful and angry at our partners all the time? The answer is no. But if you think about going through life as a man or woman, if you go through life and something, let's say your boss does something really, you know, dickish, um, what a lot of people will do is they don't have a space because it would be unprofessional to, to rage at your boss, right? Most of us don't have a space to vent that anger and rage. So it doesn't have to be at the person, but you don't have a space. You don't have friends we can go to and just unleash. A lot of guys don't have this. A lot of women have shame around it, so they don't do it. But a lot of guys don't have the space to do it. We don't have a way to, like, start beating into something, right? Like through a sport or gym or a punching bag. We don't have that avenue for accessing and unleashing. So what happens is all the little bits, things that happen in our day-to-day lives, like the anger that should make us angry, should make us annoyed, we suppress that. And it goes deep down inside and we become... If you find yourself feeling very frustrated and angry at life, if that's something that you feel like, you feel a lot of like emotionally angry, like you feel like you're starting to become grumpy at people or annoyed at people very easily or people trigger you very easily a lot of the time, often that suppressed anger and rage that you need to deal with and find a healthy vent and outlet and become comfortable and feel no shame around feeling anger and rage. It doesn't mean you have to express it at people. It means that you have a way to express it when you have those feelings and you're allowed to have those feelings. You allow yourself to feel angry. You allow yourself to feel a sense of rage when something isn't fair. Um, and you have a way to vent it. So this is a really important part of men and women, and a lot of women just completely ignore this. In fact, most women's self-development programs that I watch completely ignore the anger-rage part of the healthy human being, and I think it's really um, critical. So that's a really important one, which dovetails into, uh, what is this next one, number six, uh, which is strong boundaries. So a lot of people struggle with having really good quality boundaries. And one of the reasons for that is, so what happens when we have weak boundaries, by the way, if you're not sure, if you think, no, I get angry at people when they push my boundaries too far, you probably have boundary problems. Because if you have to get to the point where you get angry at people, it means you've got weak boundaries. The reason that you get angry to set a boundary is because you should have set a boundary long before anger became part of the equation. Right. So, you know, if you get if you get, you know, like if you've got a partner who says things that make you feel bad about yourself, but you let it fly 10 times in a row before you finally snap and go, for fuck's sake, stop saying that. That really pisses me off. You haven't set a boundary. You're right. You've just gotten overly emotional. And that creates interpersonal problems because she's going to get a shock thinking, whoa, all of a sudden he's gotten mad at me. He's been totally fine with this before. What's going on? That creates unpredictability. It undermines her sense of safety in the relationship, creates all kinds of trouble, as well as a sense of distrust. 
uh, when people do that. So you need to learn to set boundaries right in the beginning. When something happens that isn't okay, that isn't cool, you're accessing the tiniest little bit of anger. Not not enough anger that's going to make you actually be angry, but it's enough to, to signal to you, huh, I need to do something here and set a boundary. I need to say something. I need to put up a wall here. I need to whatever you need to do. So setting up boundaries is critical. And it's critical. It'll come out in um, women find men who set boundaries sexy. That's a really big one. Women respond very positively to men who have good, healthy, strong boundaries. But And you won't find yourself getting walked over in relationships and all this kind of stuff. For women, what's interesting is women with strong boundaries are far more regularly seen as relationship material. Uh, Not always. This isn't the only factor. I'm not trying to say this is the one key that unlocks men wanting to be in relationships with you. But it's one of those factors that plays a really strong role. So strong boundaries is really critical. And if you struggle with boundaries, this is an area for, for you to look at. Number seven in the list is your shadow. Now, some of you may have heard of shadow work before, but if you haven't, shadow work was originally sort of envisioned by uh, Carl Jung, a, a, um, is sort of a founding father of modern psychology. Um, but your shadow is basically the part of yourself that you don't like to look at or talk about or acknowledge, right? So what about you? Do you, do you ignore? Because that's why it's called a shadow, because it's it's hidden, right? And Often our shadows come up in things like what triggers you about other people? What are aspects about you that, you know, for example, you might be more selfish or you might take joy in other people's pain or you might, uh, you know, all these things, these little um, things about us as human beings that we don't like to acknowledge. If you don't acknowledge your shadows, they will control you. Right. So, for example, uh, the stereotype of a shadow controlling someone's life for the worst would be the stereotype of a woman who constantly dates men who abuse her. Right. She doesn't want to be abused, but something in her shadow causes her to keep finding relationships, seeking relationships, even though she doesn't want it logically, consciously. She's seeking relationships that are going to be abusive. Now, that's a shadow work. That's a shadow value. That's something going on in her shadow at play. Right. Until she understands it, she can't control it. Now, this is not limited to women and this is not limited to abusive relationships. If you constantly find yourself in the same situation over and over and over again, meeting the same kind of person, having the same kind of repetitive problem with people and you can't work out what's going on, it could well be something that's lurking in your shadow. Right. So shadow is really important. If you find like feel like your behaviors get controlled by things out of your control, if that makes sense, like, you know, you can't help yourself with overeating. You can't help yourself with overspending. You can't help you. All, the, all these kinds of weird behavior things where logically you could control yourself, but you can't emotionally. There's a shadow at play. And if you understand that shadow, that gives you a large amount of control over your life. But shadows play a lot of roles in interpersonal relationships as well, friendships and dating. So shadow work is really, really critical area. In fact, it's one of my favorite areas now because I've been doing so much work on my own shadow as well. So it's, it's one I'm pretty passionate about. The final item on the checklist is by no means the least important, and that is shame. Shame is a big one, and shame is one of my current passions as well. Shame and shadow are some of my big ones. It's what I work on a lot when I do my retreats with the guys as well. We walk through life with a lot of shame, most of us, because in modern society, shame is one of the tools we often use, not we as individuals, we as a society use, to try to curb behaviors we don't like. And shame is never a good strategy in my mind. Shame is never, ever good. If you want to change someone's behavior, and you, you make them feel ashamed, they won't change. Um, weight, being overweight is a perfect example. If you feel ashamed of being overweight, it is going to be really hard to ever lose weight and keep it off. 
because that shame of being overweight, shame tends to cause us to shut down emotionally, right? It causes us to re recoil from the experience and we shut down and we can't interact with the emotional stuff anymore, right? Shame is very pernicious and it's dangerous. So shame around fat, we, we already as a society generally try to say we shouldn't fat shame people. And there's a very good reason for it because shame is bad, but shame comes up in lots of areas, right? A lot of men and women have a lot of shame around sex and sexuality and expression of those wants and needs. So obviously if you can't express those wants and needs, how are you possibly going to get into a, relation, a healthy relationship? But it hurts men a lot because if you think about a man's shame around sex, if he's too ashamed of sex and sexuality, how is he going to approach a woman uh, anywhere and, and 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 flirt with her, right? Because he does. I don't mean sleaze on her, right? Because I know some guys go over the top and they get all sleazy and, and and stuff and pushy. And I don't mean that. I just mean a lot of guys are at the opposite end, right? They're so scared of of expressing any kind of sexual interest at all, right? They're held back by shame and they're in a trap in a prison of shame, right? And they can't because shame is what they're experiencing. Because understand well, because a lot of women use shame as a way to try to curb predatory male sexual behavior. Again, I think that's that's the wrong way to curb a very bad behavior is shame. But anyway, men feel that and they become ashamed of themselves, of their own sexuality, and that keeps them trapped and locked. You need to work on shame. And I don't just mean sexual shame. I just talk about it a lot because it's I it comes up so much in dating for both men and women that yeah, it needs some serious attention. If you're feeling a sense of shame, you need to deal with that first. You need to start to own the stuff that you're ashamed of, feel comfortable about it, recognize it as even love it as a part of who you are. Um, you know, you can't be ashamed of your height, of your weight, of your penis size, of your 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 breast size, right? All these things that women feel this and men feel shame around, we need to let go of or it will control us and it will. Shame also provides a way for others to manipulate us. You may not realize that, but if you're manipulated by people in, in like interpersonal relationships, they often use your shame against you. So it's really critical as an area to work on. So I've mentioned all of these areas of um, this checklist of things to look at. I'm not saying you have to work through all of this, although you should over your lifetime. You really need to th look at this list and think, where where did I ping anywhere? Did I listen to this list and think, ooh, that felt like it was talking to me. That felt like it hit a nerve. That's probably what you need a next work on. Will that be the answer to your relationship problems right now? I don't know, but it's probably the next step. It's often a series of things you need to work through. Um, and you should be like throughout your whole life, you should be working through these areas, right? Your self-development path should never stop. Um, and to be happy in a romantic relationship or to be happy in, a, in a casual sex relationships, all these things to really win at life, you need to be constantly improving and working on yourself and letting go of stuff that's held you back previously. That should be your lifestyle pattern. This isn't a thing you do now for the next three months and then you're sweet for the rest of your life. It's something you keep working on. Um and so, yeah, I hope this has been interesting to you guys. This is really the big list. This is what I work through with when I work with guys, uh, the, what I want to work through because I really want to start working with women more with some of this stuff. And so this is the big checklist. Have you worked on any of these? Are there any stories that you guys have that have really changed the way you saw, saw yourself in the world or changed the way you interacted with women or changed the way you interacted with men? Let me know in the comments below because... You know, it really helps if other people can see the changes that have occurred in your life. You can inspire someone else to make a change in theirs as well. So please let me know in the comments below. As always, if you like this video, give me a thumbs up, subscribe to my channel. And uh, as always, I look forward to seeing you in my next video. That's it for today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Don't forget to check us out at schoolofattraction.com. 
I highly recommend you check out my comprehensive and free dating personality test, which you can find by clicking personality test at the top of the page. Thanks again for tuning in, and I look forward to seeing you in my next podcast.